Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And we return after a two-week hiatus for our own version of the All-Star break. Uh, guys, it's been a while. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I got my All-Star Game uh, t-shirt on, which was totally coincident. Yeah, yeah, true, from 2014. <laughs> uh, my... Uh, my uncle and Eli's uncle too, of course, got it for uh, me and us. So um, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing good. So I got the and it was yeah, like I said, it was coincidental that I happened to just pick this up and then the stars aligned perfectly and we're doing the show today and I have the T-shirt on and we happen to be talking about the All Star Game. So is that yeah. the, what what All Star Game? That's 2014. Was that in Minnesota? Where exactly. Is okay. Which is which is where uh, he lives. Right. Right. So right, yeah. that's. I was yeah. trying to rack my brain for where you have family, and I was like, that's the only one that's recently had an All Star Game. So. And makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I gave Feeling blood rested? today too. So well, actually, uh, not really because I gave blood, but yeah, uh, but. Yeah, I'll be good. I'll be good. So you give blood a lot. I feel like you can only yeah. give blood so often. Well, but I'm you go trying. Frequently. Yeah, I'm try- so platelets you can li- give every seven days. <laughs> so okay. I'm trying to like create and establish a routine where I do it as basically often as possible. And okay. I'm as productive as possible donating. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, you go to the grocery store, pick up the dry cleaning, donate some platelets. Exactly. Some <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, good. Um, pretty good too. That's all I have to say. <laughs> that's good. That is good. Um, and there's some there's some good baseball stuff too. So yeah, that's, the Orioles have been fun. Too. The Orioles have been fun since the All Star break. They, as we record, Very fun. Oh, so wait, Jess, you're shaking your head. No, you don't think the Orioles have been exciting since the All Star break? No, I was just saying, like it, it in my mind, it's strange that we're an exciting baseball team right now. So it, it feels like we have not been an exciting baseball team for a long time. So it's true. No, it's it's cool. So the shaking my head was kind of a reaction to like that's the Orioles we're talking about, you know. But it is so. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And we're, we're recording this on Sunday evening after the Orioles have swept the Nationals in exciting fashion. And I think the Orioles have won two of the three series since the break, uh, which is really cool. Um, so let's just get into our topics today because there's enough to, to go through and we don't need to keep you all here all day. But we're going to talk all-star break slash home run derby, draft recap, trade deadline prep, and then run through a couple of little uh, housekeeping notes here. So I guess we'll start with we'll kind of go out of order here a little bit and start with the all-star break and home run derby, um, even though they occurred after the draft. But we'll just get this out of the way. Uh, Trey Mancini, home run derby, runner up. Um, I think we were all kind of saying before the, uh, the home run derby that we'd be just happy if he looked halfway decent, competitive, kind of stayed with the uh, with the uh, the field a little bit. But he actually was really impressive and took the silver in the event. Um, so Eli, I'll go to you first. Were you kind of surprised by uh, the performance that Trey Mancini put forward here? I was not only surprised, I think that this may like from an Orioles fan perspective may have saved the season for me. Like this is probably, I mean, the John means no hitter is obviously going to go down in history, but this was like just about the coolest possible thing that could have happened. Um, you know, not only for Trey to come back, you know, be put into the spotlight, get some recognition. We saw like Vladdy Guerrero and Cedric 
during the stand up to cancer moment, both had Boom Boom and Trey Mancini written down on their uh, on their little. I don't know. I don't even know what to call them. They're little papers. Mm. Placard. Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, for him to be kind of put in this position and, you know, to hit really well. I mean, he got he got into some and was swinging the bat well. He's got kind of like the goofy loopy swing as opposed to, you know, Pete Alonzo's like perfect power geared. Uh, I don't know. There was no way he was going to beat Pete Alonzo. That dude was in such a rhythm and his pitcher was putting the ball on a tee every time, but it was, uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I was, I was screaming. I was cheering. It was just great. Yeah, it, it was, it was a really cool uh, event. Uh, it, it, like you said, it was nice that Cedric was kind of like pumping him up uh, and in between rounds and then Manny got involved later in the home run derby. Right, that was right. really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really exciting. Um, Jess, I don't know. I guess I'll kind of just go to you for your reaction. Were you, were you thinking, cause Trey was the first one to hit of the whole event. I don't know if you watched it super close Jess, but um, were you kind of, were you expecting him to be able to go all the way to the finals because he beat who I think Matt Olson, who we were all kind of thinking could have been the guy to take down Pete Alonzo and instead Trey took him out in the first uh, round, but were you kind of buying after Trey's first round that he could have done what he went on to do? Um, I mean, a- after you beat Matt Olson in the first round, I feel like there's a lot of potential for you to go <laughs> deeper into the, ter- you know, into the competition. Um, so I definitely think uh, that was a possibility at that point. I mean, the thing for me is he, he, I mean, I think what he was doing was extra impressive because he still more or less maintained his sort of line drive swing. And he had a lot of like opposite field home runs or mm-hmm. uh, right center field home runs which most of the time uh, the calculation is, okay, just give me the ball inside, whether it be, you know, at the belt and in or a little lower and in, and let me just, you know, you know, get home runs after home runs out of here. Right. Um, but he hit some that were left that, out that over the, the play approach. Right. Exactly. So he, he hit some the opposite way that were left out over the, over the plate. Right. And I, I, I think that is impressive. Um, yeah, and he, he still he, he still has this kind of line drive swing throughout the event, and the ball just bounced off his bat and you know flew off his bat. So no, I thought it I thought it was really cool. It was kind of interesting because kind of how I thought the competition would go for him is like before he took his very first time out. Um, you know, he had like two or three home runs or something like that. Um, but he had a lot of line outs, a lot of like, uh, you know, he had a few like down the third base line, like, you know, it hit really hard, but just down the third base line. And, you know, I kind of felt like that's how the event was going to go for him. Mm-hmm. And he'd probably get eight or nine, but then he adjusted and he, uh, you know, got underneath the ball at least a little bit. Right. Whereas before he was kind of getting on top of the ball and hitting the ball really hard, but just downward, right. Or not up enough. Um, but then he was able to make the adjustments and he had some moonshots. So it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was really neat. Um, and I think he gets um, $500,000 for coming in second. I know Pete Alonzo mm-hmm. gets a million, so it's a cool little incentive and it makes it uh, 
a little bit more interesting to watch. I didn't love ESPN's presentation. Like I know with the format, it's kind of tough to like see the home runs when compared to like the old days of the 10 outs where the players would wait. Um, but I don't know. They could have done it a different way. So we could have actually seen how far the balls were getting hit. You like guys seem to agree screen or something. Well, they did a split screen, but it was still like really tough to see what was going on. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And uh, I kind of something about I, I don't know how much I like the timer, to be honest. I There's something I like about the 10 outs a little bit, but I, I don't I, know. I like, you know, I like the timer format, but I agree. You know, the coolest thing about these home runs and especially in Coors Field is like, you know, literally one went 520 feet, you, you mm. know, and the fact that we as the like viewership has no grasp of that and it's not like displayed on the screen like hey this was the longest home run that Statcast has ever tracked that just mm-hmm. happened I, why is that not you know being broadcast on the screen somewhere like we went we flipped over to the Statcast version of it a little bit and they show uh launch angle and exit velo for each of them but there's no like running total of where like how far each of these have gone or maybe like a map in the park a little overlay and you can see where everything lands just something to kind of give you some perspective on how unbelievably far these balls are traveling yeah it, it gets a little disorienting because i think there are like rules that they're supposed to wait until their previous home run lands or something before they get the next one thrown but none of them do that it's all you're what's, yeah what's that, that rule actually was not in effect this year oh okay interesting okay yeah well that it, makes it, sense. there's an umpire behind home plate who is giving the instruction on when you can throw. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, look, I think in general, the home run derby is really cool. It's gotten, I think better in general, as we've been growing up. Uh, If you look, well, this is kind of before our time. I think there's home run derbies in like the early nineties that like the winner hit like five home runs or something. So, you know, it's definitely better. More home runs is better. I think it captures the casual fan a little bit um, better than it used to. So, all in all, really cool event, and hopefully Trey is back in it next year. Hopefully he's still wearing an Orioles uniform, but we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Also, to your point, the 500000 especially for him, isn't nothing because he hasn't hit free agency yet. So, that I mean, that's that's a substantial amount for him. Yeah, I think Trey makes like $4 million this year or something like that, which is, which is good. Pete Alonzo is still like pre-arb, so he's making like 600 grand or something like that right um so that's huge for him the million bucks yeah pete alonzo yeah in the in the two nights that he's competed in the home run derby and won two million dollars that's more than his entire career earnings Mm, yeah it's i mean that's a problem (laughs) but that's a that's a bigger discussion for another day but it's it i like the incentive (laughs) it definitely it leads the good players to get involved um I would hope. So um, it's good. You incentivize doing things. If you want people to participate, I and ML, MLB is making so much money off the event. So yeah. why, why should the players not get something for it? Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's talk about the all-star game. There's not a whole hell of a lot to talk about there because Cedric Mullins did start the game. I don't know if we knew that last time we recorded, but Cedric Mullins, not. Okay, cool. He, he did end up starting the game, which was justified and deserved, and that was awesome to see him get um, introduced. A, a little annoyed he was batting ninth, but I get it. I yes, get it. thank you. 
I mean, if they had put him first and just moved everybody down in the order one slot, I feel like that would have been a perfect lineup. I will say him batting ninth, though, kept him in the game like as long as it possibly could have. I feel like he was in the game a long time. So that was cool. And the other thing is you had the novelty of having Shohei be the starting pitcher and get that leadoff spot. I mean, That's true. That, That's that was true. worth it. Right. And also, like, you know, the All-Star game at the end of the day is just a big marketing thing for MLB. They tried for a while to make it, like, you know, worth uh, home home, adva- home field advantage or whatever in the World Series, and that was stupid. So Very MLB's, stupid. Yeah, MLB's totally leaned into the fact that this is marketing, this is fun, this is exhibition to get casual fans in here and – you know, they, they relaxed the rules to allow Shohei to uh, lead off and be pitcher and then get replaced with a DH. So that was cool. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, but I don't know. Mullen's performance, he went, went over to scored a run, reached on an error technically, although I think it was a hit. Um, yeah, Eli. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, that scorekeeper, like, what are you doing? Just what are you doing? I mean, why take something away from somebody in the All-Star game? that it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on the reality of the rest of the world. And right. Cedric Mullins could have had that hit and had a hit in the all-star game. And it was very borderline. And with his speed, he could have beat it out anyways. Maybe it just doesn't make sense. Like, I, I mean, I, just, why, I, why take something away from somebody in that situation? I agree with the assessment of the call, but I, I mean, I don't agree with that. Exactly. I, I think, it should be called according to how it's supposed to be called. And it, right. I, I don't think, well, the pitcher cares. I mean, the pitcher doesn't <laughs> want the earned run, you know? So if I mean, that's border, one I thing. Think, I think Eli's saying like, if it's a borderline, not, if it's an egregious error, don't just give hits away or whatever, right. but like, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, a play that is not an easy play. You got a fast runner. Like, I don't know. I think, I, I think see. the majority I'm sure there's people that legitimately think it was an error, but I think the vast majority of baseball fans would say, nah, that was pro- that was a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have any other real takeaways from Cedric's performance. I think he did a nice job. I think he had one put out in the outfield the whole time he was there, yep. um, which it was Fernando Tatis Jr. So he retired the best player in baseball. So really impressive. <laughs> um, and yeah, just cool. It was awesome. He deserved to start and, uh, that's about all I got to say. Do you guys have any other thoughts? He also, I mean, I think it's a bigger deal than you're making it out to be that he scored a run. You know, the, well, the AL only won 5-2. So um, he did really make a big contribution to that. So 20% of the runs. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cool. And hopefully it's the first of uh, many to come. Yes. All right. We, we might uh, next year we might have different predictions for who the Orioles All Star uh, is going to be. You know. So yeah, we were we'll we were off. I mean, I think some of us did say Trey Mancini, and although he did not make the All Star game, he was involved in the festivities. I think some of us said Tanner Scott. That was I said way Tanner off. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> not quite um, with that one. Yeah. No, no, but that's all right. Tanner Scott might be gone, but from the Orioles before the end of this week. So. Um, right. Anyway, we're going to talk about that in a second. Let's talk draft. This happened. uh, It was kind of cool, although there are definitely mixed opinions on this. I thought it was kind of cool that they packaged the draft into the All-Star game. Maybe they could have put the draft after the All-Star game and made it like a primetime event or something. But anyway, I like the way it was it was done. Uh, The Orioles drafted uh, predictably Colton Cowser first in the first round, which we talked about last week. And then they went on to take a bunch of college hitters. 
and then they went pitchers a little bit later. Their first pitcher was taken in the fifth round, Carlos Tavera, a, uh, a college senior. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess let's kind of get our, our feelings and our feedback on what we thought of the draft and maybe any guys in particular that you liked or didn't like. Uh, Eli, I'll go to you first for sort of just your general thoughts on the Orioles draft. Yeah, I think general thoughts is this aligns pretty strongly with what the Orioles have shown they like to do. They like to take advanced bats um, and both like Kowser and Connor Norby, you know, both have a plus hit tool. They both, you know, draw out at bats extremely well. So that made a lot of sense. They clearly later on started to move more towards the power upside guys, the guys with high exit velos. Um, the one guy that I kind of cued in on was this guy, Reed Trimble, we took in our third round. Uh, Fangraphs absolutely loved him. We've talked about Eric Longenhagen on this pod before. Uh, always gives good analysis. So I, I really like Trimble. He's a switch hitter. Definitely uh, has the speed to stay in center field. He's got like a 65-grade run tool. He's got a great arm. They say he gets a little trigger happy throwing guys out, but he's young. You know, we can figure that out. Uh, they say he's got a lot of pop, uh, pretty much all fields power from the left side, a little bit of pull side power from the right side. And they say he's just one of the best like speed power combos in the draft. So that was pretty exciting for me. Um, but, you know, the Orioles definitely have shown that they like to take those college hitters and they like to take the advanced bats. And from that point forward, um, they kind of decide that they can develop the arms into what they need them to be. So like you said, we didn't take our first pitcher until the fifth round. He was actually the only one in the first 10 rounds that we took. We ended up taking nine overall throughout the 21 picks we had. And um, yeah, I think that aligns, you know, obviously the Orioles have been to pitching or developing pitching well. And so that aligns with what Elias and co have been doing the past couple drafts and they've been drafting good athletes. They've been drafting position players and college hitters largely. Yeah, and I think what's kind of interesting about uh, well, Trimble is is one of them. I think he was technically like a COVID freshman, so he was mm-hmm. a he would have been an age eligible sophomore, but COVID the season last year, all the players got an additional year of eligibility, so he was technically a freshman. But I think that again kind of plays into sort of what Elias likes too. Is it's sort of like that that fine balancing act of experience, age, but still uh, potential. And, you know, getting a college sophomore, these guys that are, are young and putting up numbers or exit velos or whatever numbers they're putting into their models, you know, I think the Orioles say like, oh, this guy's basically, he's like eight months younger than a typical player at this point, And he's already doing X, Y, or Z. Um, I, I find that pretty, pretty interesting too. And I, and I think Loggenhagen, I'll, I'll mention this real quick. He's like the guy that if you kind of want to know how the Orioles front office thinks about young players, he's like the one to read because it seems like what he thinks lines up with how Mike Elias thinks a lot of the time, not saying that's always the right way to think about things, but the two of them seem to like similar players. So um, that that's, that's noteworthy. Um, Jess, what about your thoughts on the draft and any players maybe that stood out for you? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my general thoughts kind of is with what Eli was saying Um I mean, I think the other thing to note is that the Orioles are very, very comfortable with where the organization's pitching staff is right now uh, at the minor leagues. Um, The fact that they disproportionately took uh, pitchers towards the end of the draft and in the second half of the draft 
uh, just demonstrates that the Orioles are very happy with where uh, with how the pitching is coming along. Um, so that's uh, the first takeaway. If yeah, and if the Orioles were concerned or had any uh, hesitation about the ability of the pitching. Uh, within the organization, they would have drafted more pitchers within the first 10 rounds. Um, and the fact that they didn't, I think, says something about how they feel about the organization and where it's currently at. Um, the the second, so I, I'm the one guy, uh, funny enough, that I am really interested in is Carlos Tavera. Um, and the the thing is, if this is the one guy the Orioles were willing to spend a first uh, 10 uh, round draft pick on um, I, I think that they are really intrigued by him and really excited by him and so that makes me excited um, because uh, it was a very deliberate choice uh, to, to not draft many pitchers and the fact that they had all this availability at that point in the draft they probably decided ahead of time, okay, we're going to spend one pick um, or maybe two picks, you know, depending on what things look like uh, in the first 10 rounds on a pitcher, um, you know, barring certain circumstances if you know, Kumar rocker falls to the fifth round or something, you know, maybe their calculations change. Uh, but overall, they probably had a plan that they're going to pick uh, one or two pitchers in the first few 10 rounds. Um and the fact that they were they chose to do uh, to spend their their uh, pick on a pitcher uh, on uh, Tavera, um, I, I think that really says something about how the Orioles feel about him. Yeah, and I think on the pitching note, it also is sort of indicative of I think what the Orioles think they are able to do with pitching prospects that maybe other organizations are not able to do. I think they think that they can take raw tools that um, you know, like like a Jack Lighter is more refined than just about any other college pitcher. And I'm sure the Orioles maybe would have taken Jack Leiter if he was there. We'll never know. But I think the Orioles seem to believe that we can take a more raw prospect later, college or not, and we can turn him into the type of pitcher that we believe is productive. They, they kind of have done that already with the, some of the trades they've made, especially the trades with the Angels where they got those three guys from the, uh, from the Dylan Bundy deal that have all pitched pretty well this year, but they, none of them were high draft picks. So, you know, I think that unless the Orioles are totally enamored with a pitching prospect in the in the upper rounds of the draft, they're probably not going to go that way. Um, they seem to be a a pitching development uh, sort of organization. They don't think they need to spend a premium on that type of talent. Um, but, you know, that could always change. It, it does kind of seem like I mean, you know, when you just kind of take a step back, it seems like it's harder to develop a hitter. It, mm -hmm. It's, it's just kind of a rough feel thing, you know, but when you're talking about somebody, you know, within the span of like three tenths of a second, you know, seeing a pitch, recognizing that pitch, starting to act on it and getting a bat from A to B in order to hit it. That's just more of a inherent skill, I think, than pitching is. And, and I don't mean that pitchers aren't talented, obviously, <laughs> you know, like I was a pitcher. But pitching, you know, you can go and you can refine because it's it, it's a motion that is much less reactive and it's something you plan out and it's something that I get to decide where I step. I get to decide, you know, the way that I engage my body, whereas 
hitting is so unbelievably reactive. And the Orioles have talked about being, you know, of the mindset that they're able to develop a swing path as well as anybody in the game. Uh, that was something that they've kind of bragged about Brad's Brad Sealek a little bit, the Orioles scouting director. So, you know, part of that is that's why they look for these guys who put up the max exit velo numbers because they just kind of have these, this raw talent and the Orioles think they can refine but I think that refining hitters is a more difficult process than refining pitchers. And that's why we shoot for these guys in the higher rounds. I, th I think you're definitely right about that, Eli, because a pitcher has multiple avenues to success, right? Uh, a pitcher can be deceptive. A pitcher can be crafty. A pitcher can have a high velocity. A pitcher can work with their grips and develop new pitches. You know, there's a lot of different ways that a pitcher can try to be successful uh playing baseball and the obviously there are different swings and stuff like that but generally there is more or less a prescribed formula i think for how hitters are supposed to hit and some people can do it better than others and that's about it but with pitching um obviously there's certain things you can't teach like 98 mile an hour fastballs but um you know, I mean, Mariano Rivera wasn't much before uh, the pitching coach worked with him and he found and discovered his cutter, right? So there's a lot of different opportunity like this, I think, with pitchers that exist that doesn't really exist in that same way for hitters. Well, and I, always, I also think it's a byproduct of the evolution of baseball as it's played. I mean, there are very few premium top of the rotation guys that are always going to throw seven, not always, but routinely going to throw seven innings, be those lockdown guys that are worth paying $20 million. There's always, the pitchers are always the guys that bounce up and down a million times. You plug in a fifth starter, you plug in two or three middle relief pitchers that are always bouncing, you know, for the orders of that Norfolk shuttle. It's, you know, Travis Lakins was up and down. I feel like seven times before he got hurt, you know, Cole Salser was doing that earlier in the year. Um, you know, so I think the Orioles are definitely would keep an eye out on that premium type of talent. There was talk before the draft that Jack Leiter was a guy they really prized. And if he was there at five, they were going to take him. Um, it didn't happen that way. He was gone at pick two or three, whatever the Rangers took him. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all part of it. It's it's, you know, and I think Fangraphs also did a uh, like a trade value series recently where they did like the top 50 most valuable players. And I think they said like 35 of them were hitters just because. Like you said, it's it's tougher to find those, you know, Fernando Tostis Juniors don't grow on trees. Those guys are are very rare, whereas just about every pitcher anymore throws 95 miles per hour. And if you can give him a second pitch, he's probably going to go through an order two times and be all right. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just a different beast for the pitchers, for sure. Um, as far as picks I found interesting, I'll, I'll be quick on this. I think there's two guys beyond, you know, the obvious that that really stand out. I think the Dante Williams pick in the fourth round is really interesting. Uh, his skill set to me sounds like basically a perfect fourth outfielder in the major leagues, potentially a regular uh, left fielder, center fielder. Uh, if he you know gets a little bit lucky there, played Pac-12 baseball at Arizona, has put up really good numbers. I mean, his stat line's pretty impressive against high-level competition. Pac-12 is probably like the second-best conference of college baseball. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then also I think the Creed Willems pick in the eighth round is, is noteworthy. Um, I won't pretend to know a bunch about Willems, but 
he was given a pretty hefty over slot bonus about a million dollars, which is about 800 K over what his slot would have been there. And he is, I think the only high schooler that the Orioles drafted this year. Yep. Uh, so that's interesting too. And he's a catcher and a lot of the profiles I've read on him are that he's not super athletic, but he hits the ball really hard and throws the ball really hard. So again, I'm thinking the Orioles maybe hope they can develop some stuff there. Cause it's interesting. Yeah. A couple notes on Willems, uh, the Orioles brought him out for a workout and they said he put four balls onto Utah street. So that's good news. He's got a lot of pop from the left side. And then he also in high school, he pitched a little bit just because he's got a great arm and he was able to touch 95. So he's got a really big arm from behind the dish. He's got a big bat and uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Orioles like tools and he sounds like he's got them. Yeah, and so he'll be one you might see down in the Florida Gulf Coast League this year. I think uh, the rest of these guys will probably be Delmarva. Maybe some of the younger ones might do Florida Gulf Coast too, but it sounds like Cowser will probably be at Delmarva within the next couple weeks or so. Norby too, maybe maybe Trimble or Rhodes. So these guys are – we're going to get to see them really soon, and that's that's pretty exciting. Um, so, yeah. I, I, one more little note. Colton Cowser, for fan graphs at least, immediately slotted in as the number 88 prospect in baseball. He's a, yeah, Fangraphs is really high on him. They had him Mm -hmm. as the number six overall prospect in the draft. We talked about that before, but he already slotted into the top 100 for them. So people like him. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really cool. I mean, yeah, the the opinions are a little bit split on him. Some had him a little bit lower, but in general, I think everybody seemed to agree. He was one of the best college hitters, if not the best college hitter, depending who you talk to. And that's a pretty cool prospect to add to your, uh, your minor leagues. Yeah. And Jess, did you want to make a note on uh, the number of players that have signed so far out of this class? I was just uh, thinking, yeah. So, so far the Orioles have signed all but one of the players. Uh, so that's also very good. Yeah. And, and sorry, people talk about the underslot strategy with Kowser. And I guess the thing you should say is it's not always the Orioles being cheap. That, that's kind of like the mindset around it, but uh, they went over slot for John Rhodes. They went over slot significantly for Creed Willems. And uh, the 21st rounder actually drew 125000 against the bonus pool as well. So, I, you know, they're using their money is all I'm saying. Yeah, and Kowser, he did sign since we recorded, and that's, that's of note too. He signed for, I think, about $1.2 million under, yeah. uh, which would have been, I think, like eighth overall money. So, um, yeah, which makes sense. And the Orioles are going to, it looks like use all their money. So people can chill about that just a little <laughs> bit. Um, all right, let's talk about trade deadline prep. This year's trade deadline is on the 30th of July because MLB offices are closed on Saturdays and they cannot process trades. That is the actual reason. So the trade deadline is on July, <laughs> July 30th this year. Um, already some trades happening. Two former Orioles have been dealt. Rich Hill went from the Rays to the Mets. Nelson Cruz went from the twins to the Mets briefly. The, the Rays had two 41 year olds on the team, which was interesting. I'm sorry. From the, from the twins to the Rays. I apologize. Jesse was about to have a conniption. I could see on the (laughs) I I was like, wait, that was not right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Rich Hill from the Rays to the Mets, Nelson Cruz from the twins to the Rays. Um, Anyway, the Orioles have not made a move yet. And who knows if they will, um, it's not totally clear who is available. Uh, I, I would imagine most of the bullpen is available. I John means with his injury stuff has thrown that up in the air. It sounds less likely now Trey Mancini would be the most obvious 
position player. And then Freddie Galvis's health situation kind of throws him up into the air. Um, so Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first to kind of get your thoughts here. Do you think like, I think the two big guys that could potentially go are Means and Mancini. Do you think either or one or both goes Right. So I was very uh, confident a few months ago that there was a well, not very confident, but I thought there was a very good chance that Mancini would be dealt Um, at this point. I think it's very unlikely that he will be dealt. Um, The thing is, just the injury came at horrible timing. And yes, he's been activated in time. Uh, You're talking means? Yes, I'm sorry. Means. Yeah, okay. Did I say Mancini? <laughs> you did. Oh, wow. yeah. No, no. Oh, wow. my gosh. I'm, oh, my God. Yeah, right. We Let's just uh, start the episode over. Everybody makes mistakes, <laughs> I guess, on this I, podcast I just, I with names clarify. and teams. And yeah, okay, yeah. So, I, to be clear, I'm talking about means. Um, but yeah, the injury came like at a really bad and inconvenient time for the Orioles. And he's had two starts back. If somebody is going to deal uh, so much for an ace, they need to know that he's going to be pitching like an ace and that there's not more to this injury uh, than, uh, than something very trivial. Um, and that uh, they need to know that he, he would be able to return to his previous self. I feel like that the Orioles, there is a chance activated him at the time that they did hoping that he would, you know, do really, really well and say, and then they could, maybe they had two or three starts. uh, And if he was, you know, lights out, they could say, look, the injury was nothing. There's no problem. The fact that he's pitched poorly um, overall and relative to his previous self, I don't think um, somebody is going to trade enough uh, where the Orioles will be like, okay, we can let go of our, Probably our most valuable, uh, from a business perspective, the Orioles' most valuable asset right now. Um, And no team, I don't think, is going to trade enough uh, for the Orioles to be willing to trade away uh, Means. So I think Means getting dealt at this point is not in the cards for the Orioles. I would say there's a... like a 4% chance or something that he's going to get down. I, such I, a random number. I'm just saying, I, I'm just trying to say, I would say it's under 10%. And I okay. think, I think it's very unlikely. Uh, Mancini, on the other hand, I, I would say, uh, I think it's much more likely he will be dealt. I would say there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I would say it's more than a 50, 50% chance oh, that wow. he will go. Wow. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think his value is, uh, as you know, I think it doesn't make any sense really for the Orioles to wait, uh, on trading him. His value is where it's going to be moving forward. It's not like a strong second half could heavily increase his value in the off season or anything like that. I think teams know what value Trey Mancini has. I think the Orioles know his value. And I think that uh, something will come together. And I think that he will get dealt kind of like you mentioned. I don't know exactly who, but I think some of these relievers are going to get traded too. So I could definitely see Paul Fry getting dealt. He's been pitching pretty well. 
Um, and All right, well, you're, you're going you're going down the list. Yeah, Hold on. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, we need multiple sorry. voices to. Okay. Jesse yeah, talks for, sure, for twelve for sure. minutes. It's okay, gonna be yeah, tough right. to listen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I'll see so, the floor. Okay. <laughs> sorry, Means and Mancini. Let Let's get Eli's take on that. I, I would say okay. I, real quick. I do agree. I don't think Means is going anywhere. It, it probably doesn't make sense to pull the trigger at, for anybody at this moment. Mancini is a little more up in there. I think I think I'm less than fifty percent. But Eli, let's get your take on on those two players real quick. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, I am of the mindset that both are staying and I'm pretty firm in it at this point. Mm. I, I don't really know what changed for me over the course of this season. And, you know, it might be that I wasn't watching Mancini. And so at the onset of this season, I was more willing to just say, oh, he's going to, okay, I did see, I thought I was doing a Jesse and I said the wrong name, but I'm right. I'm talking about <laughs> Mancini. So yes. uh, I, I think it's just that I hadn't been seeing Mancini and I was not as enamored with the whole story and I didn't have all the context of what he really means to this organization. And so I was more willing to say, yeah, he's going to go. I think that, you know, given that he's been a staple in this lineup, given that he has been performing well, you know, he's almost up to 20 home runs. He's pretty much been the only stable hitter regardless of him not being at his 2019 level quite so he has been stable he's been productive he hasn't been hurt unlike everyone else on the everyone else on the roster and I think he just means more to this organization than he does to any other and Uh I think that's a pretty substantial thing because I don't think that there's a package that the Orioles would get from any other team looking at him as just a first base potentially corner outfield DH type who you know will hit pretty well he'll hit 25 to 30 bombs he's going to perform for us but he just doesn't have the context with another team that he does with the Orioles and so I don't think any other team will put up a package for him that, that that would be enough to prime away for us. Yeah, let, let me let me put this scenario out there because I, I I pretty much agree with everything Eli just said about the whole situation. I I love Trey Mancini. I think he's a good baseball player. First base is a position with for a really big bat, and he has a good bat, not an elite bat. And I'm not sure that's worth a whole bunch on the trade market. This is an idea I've seen kicked around social media a little bit and in some comment sections. Is that the San Diego Padres are very good? Eric Hosmer is not very good. Eric Hosmer also has a pretty big contract. Would you, if you're Michael Elias, say, hey, San Diego, we will take Eric Hosmer's contract. You get Trey Mancini, but you also need to give us some of those sweet, sweet prospects you got in that top-of-the-line farm system. Now, so, so Eric Hosmer's contract, he is due $21 million next year, $13 million every year from 2023 through 2025. So that's, let me do the math here. That's 39 plus 21. That's $50 million more plus whatever is left this year, which is like probably about $7 million. So $57 million. How much are those prospects worth to you? Would you guys pull something off like that? I I think that that's like a really interesting tactic. And I just looked it up. The Red Sox did it to a lesser extent. Uh, they took Ottavino from the Yankees this year and like the full $8 million on his contract. And they also received this guy, Frank Herman, who, you know, is apparently this flamethrower in the minor leagues can touch a hundred. So to me, 
don't get me wrong. I wouldn't do it in this situation because I like Mancini <laughs> and I don't think Hosmer is worth much. But this is a tactic that I think rebuilding teams underutilize. You can, you know, you you have slashed the payroll to such a low point. You know, the Orioles are paying $60 million or something this year. You slashed it to a point where you can take on a big contract, relieve some team, which enables them to go be more competitive and you can just buy prospects with the contract of another player. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be done more often. And I'm really glad you brought it up. But that being said, I don't <laughs> think this is the time to do it. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, you you don't seem to be into this idea at all. Yeah, no. I mean, I like the general idea. I don't like it in this situation, less with Mancini and more with Hosmer, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just such a giant contract. <laughs> and the Orioles are going to be stuck with them through the period that the Orioles expect to be competitive. So how does that make much sense from the Orioles' perspective? Those prospects, of course, um, yeah, the idea of like paying money like that you know to get prospects indirectly paying money right of course uh the orioles are taking somebody who they're going to be paying but you know like yeah so it's indirect but um i i i would agree with that general strategy for the orioles uh but yeah it, it just doesn't work in the situation and that much the 50 million or whatever it is that hosmer is owed I mean, they would have to be some ridiculous I mean, prospect. You could, you could come to some Gore. deal. Yeah, I mean, you could also say like, we're not going to take all fifty million, but we'll take right. like twenty five. You could do something like that too. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, for sure. And they're stuck with half of it or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree. I think it's a bit of an extreme example, but I do, I do find the idea intriguing. And the Orioles' payroll is basically nothing. They have like nothing committed beyond uh, Chris Davis is committed for next year, but I don't think they have anything else beyond that. And they might be able to wiggle out of it somehow with some CBA negotiation stuff. So um, we'll see. But um, I don't know. Trey, is he going to go? My gut tells me he's not going to go. I just don't think the deal is going to be there. Um, because, yeah, I just don't think he's worth a whole lot. So unfortunately. I, I guess the question is, I mean, what do you think ends up? Do you think he gets traded next deadline? Or you think the Orioles just keep him until he becomes a free agent? I mean... No, I, I, well, I think what I could see as a realistic possibility is that he doesn't get traded now. The Orioles, I could see them talking to him about some sort of modest extension. It would not be some crazy thing, you know, maybe, uh, you know, two or three additional years for, for $8 million a year, something super modest that he could, he could go and get more than that on the free agent market. Um, if that doesn't work, then yeah, I think he gets traded at next year's deadline. And I don't think that the return for him next year is that much different than what you would get for him this year i just want to say i remember distinctly being ridiculed on this podcast for the mention of a trey mancini extension and i I agree i i think like a modest extension works in this situation i think that again i think he means more to the orioles organization than he does to any other because jesse keeps shaking his head let let me just say a little bit what yeah. So let me just let me just say what I have to say here. So, <laughs> yes, he does mean more to the Orioles organization. He means more, though, like when you say he means more to the Orioles organization, what you really are saying, though, is he means a lot to fans. Maybe yeah. there's something he means to the younger players. Right. Those things. I And I think this is also what you guys are not 
properly weighting in the calculation is we're dealing with Mike Elias here. And I don't think he is going to get caught up in, you know, oh, Mancini is a good guy. So the Orioles are going to keep him. You know, I think the Orioles are going to do what makes the most business and advantageous, you know, move for the Orioles. And I think that's what Elias is going to do. And I think a trade, you know, would make if the Orioles keep him another. You're right. I don't think there would be a huge, huge difference, Tyler, in the return, whether we did it next year or this year. But mm-hmm. I just don't see why it would really make any sense for the Orioles to hold on to him unless we're trying to make him a lifelong Oriole. You know, that's how it would make sense to me. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think it makes sense from the Orioles perspective, from a competitive perspective. And I, I, I don't think Elias is going to do that. OK, so to rebut <laughs> um, I, in this situation, right, I don't think like I, I think if we, we were in a situation where we were the Red Sox in 2019 and we had Mookie Betts and that's who we were talking about, I think Mookie Betts gets traded if Mike Elias is running it. But Trey Mancini is not that, right? So we're talking about a relatively modest return here. And what I'm saying is like the advantage that we would gain from trading him is not a large one. And I think the difference might even be made up purely in ticket sales and, you know, jersey sales of Trey Mancini. I I think that, like, not only purely from a feel-good perspective, but the way that that feel-good perspective translates into business perspective, you know, if if the Orioles trade him away, fans give up on this entire season completely. Not that many fans haven't already, but (laughs) it's a situation where Trey Mancini keeps like a modest relationship with the fan base. I think that the Orioles would not have otherwise. And I think there is some business incentive in keeping him here. And I, like you guys have said, I don't think there would be that much of a, of a return for him right now. I think it's as simple as that. And if we're not getting much of a return, then it, it isn't necessarily the perfect calculated move to trade him away and get something not that great back. Yeah. I, so, so the I'm thing not sure the, I the, said that well, but no, you did, you did the, the blocker. I come to on the Mancini extension idea because I, a lot of people have talked about it and I do get it to a certain extent. The blocker I come to is that at the end of the day, the, the biggest way for the Orioles to, do good business, make a ton of money is to put a really good team on the field. And they have Ryan Mountcastle, who has basically the exact same skill set as Trey Mancini. Now, I, I've ta- I talked about this in, a, I think, a comment on Camden chat or something is with Ryan, this current setup of Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini basically alternating first base in DH every day. That's that's where they're at now because Man- Mountcastle cannot play left field and Mancini has limitations out there as well it's essentially the same thing as having a a full-time DH because it basically has to be one of those two at all times. And that would be fine if one of them was like an elite hitter, but they're not. And and Mountcastle's probably never going to get there. I think Mountcastle is going to be a pretty good hitter. I think he's going to be what Mancini is maybe a little bit better. And eventually you do have to be like, okay, well we need to put the best possible team. And does it make sense to basically have a full-time DH if that person is not a David Ortiz or a Nelson Cruz? Probably not. Um, 
So I think I'm still in the camp of you do trade Mancini, but I don't think it necessarily has to be now because I don't, if the return's not that big, then just hold on to him and maybe something crazy happens and you get just as much or maybe a little more next year if somebody's desperate. Um, so that's kind of where I fall on it. And the one thing I'll say about Eli's argument real quick is, although, yes, there probably is some impact on ticket sales and stuff like that, you know, from Mancini not being here and Jersey sales or whatever. Um, also, the Orioles would be offloading his salary for next year. So I think and I think even though there might be something to what you're saying about like ticket sales and having him here for that stuff. I, I think you're giving it way too much credit. I don't think many Oriole fans watching the Orioles right now are going to turn it off if Mancini goes. I just don't think that that would really happen. And not in a big enough way to really impact the calculation from Elias's part. So, okay. Yeah, so we'll see. There have been no murmurs just yet, but also I feel like none of the trades have really had murmurs. They've just happened. As we were recording, right. Adam Frazier just got traded from the Pirates to the Padres. So I was going to bring that up. Why yeah. on earth do the Padres need another infielder? I assume Cronenworth's going to play first base now. I don't, he I don't already know. has been because they've got Hassan Kim, they've got Tatis, and they've got Machado. Yeah, so, and then I mean, they already Tra- kicked Jerks and Profar out to center field. Trey Mancini's not going there. <laughs> like <laughs> Trey Mancini's not going. Like <laughs> what, what? I mean, like the Padres are just like, dude, you're really good. Come play here. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, and it's, pretty much. It's, and it's not like Frazier is the most like versatile infielder either. So no, and I mean, he can, he can play some outfield. Yeah, yeah, but I, I he's, mean, he's the NL hits leader, so I guess that's right. all you need to know. <laughs> and he's he's uh signed well, he's under control through next year, too, so they get an extra extra year. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit more relievers, Jesse. You were starting to give us your take here. Do you, I guess we'll just be kind of quick with this because we spent a little while on Trey there. Uh, do you think you know, we have Paul Fry, Tanner Scott, and Cole Salsa written here on our outline, but you know, this kind of extends to the whole bullpen. Do you think um, any of the relievers are, are going to get moved? Um, I, I think some of the relievers will get moved. I don't know which ones, but I, I think it's almost certain that a, a one or two of them will. Yeah. Um, I mean, these, uh, these three we have listed here are prime candidates. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think the situation with Scott is he's kind of getting to the point where, you know, I, I think the Orioles, you know, kind of maybe at, uh, a point where they're just like, well, he's pretty good, but I don't know how much more we can cultivate out of this, ta- out of his arm, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas another team I think might be very excited by the power fastball, the slider that he has. So um, I could definitely see Scott uh, getting dealt, um, whether it happens now or another time. I'm, you know, who knows, but. I could definitely see him going and either of these guys. I mean, Paul Fry is also just a very effective, consistent lefty that I feel like a lot that can get right handed hitters out, too. Um, so I feel like a lot of uh, especially with the the you have to stand for three hitters rule. Paul Fry is a very good lefty to have in the bullpen. And um I feel like a lot of teams will be it will be trying to get him from the Orioles. And I don't really know. I, I don't see any big reason the Orioles are going to try to hold on to him for dear life. So 
um, I feel like there's a very good chance that he gets dealt. And yeah, I mean, but I think a lot of these other bullpen pieces are, are available too. I mean, we could even go into Tate, you know, I think is a possibility. I mean, I like him a lot, but I could definitely see another team and especially with him pitching a little better recently and stuff. Um, so I think there's a lot of possibilities. I think basically the entire bullpen is available. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, what happens to come together. But I think some of these middle relievers most likely are, are going to go. Okay. Eli, do you have like any, any one of those relievers in particular that maybe you think, yeah, like this guy's going to go. I, I think Paul Fry in particular, just, I, I think he has more of a track record than anyone else in the bullpen. And he's, He's cheap, like Jesse said. He gets out lefties and righties. And there's a consistency factor that's there with him that isn't with any other reliever that we have. I think that I think that Scott also goes just because it, he can be an impact arm. And we saw that last year in 2020. So I think some team will take a chance on it. And I think that's pretty much where it stays. I don't see Tate so much because Tate can stick around for a number of years. And right, right. Around, True. You know. Yeah, I um, think... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I was going to say, yeah, I think Paul Fry, if any of them goes, I, I have Paul Fry as the most likely only because, I, you know, you talk about trying to sell high on somebody. And I think Paul Fry right now is as good as Paul Fry will ever be. And he's really, he's been really good. I think legitimately he's been really good. And I think he shows enough stuff that he should be a good reliever for a long time. He's got a ton of team control left. Um, whereas the Tanner Scott thing, it feels a lot like Michael Givens a couple years ago where you're always like, well, Michael Givens, he could get 15 saves one year, like in, in the first half and then be worth two top 100 prospects or something like Tanner Scott has similar vibes. I mean, Michael, Michael Givens always had way more control of his stuff than Tanner Scott ever has, but you know what I mean? Like raw talent that I, I could imagine the Orioles saying, look, let's fine tune a couple things. Um, whereas Paul Fry, I think he's, he's a finished product. He's really good and can be a really important piece for, for a team for a long time. Now, at the same time, I'll say the Orioles with really none of their relievers, they're not in a position that they have to sell any of them because they have so much team control on all of them. There's not a guy that has one year of team control or is a free agent after this year. So it'll be interesting if they do get traded. I, I want the return to be somewhat intriguing. Um, you know, the Orioles got interesting returns last year for Givens and for Miguel Castro. I wouldn't want anything less than what they got there, which was, I think, Kevin Smith for, for Castro and then Taryn Vavra and Tyler Nevin for Givens. Those are three, like, guys. So I want I want some guys back if they're going to deal one of these people. Um, the other thing, like we kind of been talking about, is that the Orioles trust themselves to develop pitching. And so uh -huh. I think that they're really, in terms of relievers, they say we can get anyone with a big fastball, teach them a slider, and they'll be a serviceable reliever. And I think that makes the Orioles more, more prone to just whipping these relievers around the trade market. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, one other thing to touch on is Freddie Galvis is kind of the guy that if he can get healthy in time, seems almost like, why would you not trade him? Ramon Urias has been really good <laughs> as right. a shortstop. <laughs> what <on> um, earth, right? <laughs> so there's like no reason to keep Freddie Galvis. Um, so do, do we think he goes or, or I don't, I don't know if there's going to be enough time to, to make that happen. Do you guys have any thoughts there? It, he is having some rehab starts right now, but I think that, yeah, I think that he stays just because he's not going to get a chance to prove himself even over probably four or five games before the trade deadline hits. 
Oh, we're five days away. He's yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Reinforces what I said. Yeah, but I I don't know. I mean, yes, I don't think he's gonna really have a chance. But I could see a team still being like, okay, well, we'll we'll risk it. We, you know, we don't know exactly his health, but we'll just take a chance on him because you know we're not gonna give up a whole lot for him, and he's a very consistent you know, solid defensive shortstop. The The only, the only thing is, uh, you know, it's like, it would probably be a competitive team trading for him. And for competitive teams, is he really going to be an upgrade uh, yeah, I, over their I, shortstop? So I don't think there's any team that desperate, like maybe the Yankees and they flip Glaber Torres over, but I don't know. They're, they're like, they're looking into Trevor story. You know, they're not looking into Freddie Galvis. Right. Are the Yankees even good? I mean, right, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> but are the Yankees desperate enough to be good that they're going to make a splash at the deadline? I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think other guys in this category that are kind of almost almost in the same situation. Matt Harvey has been good randomly. He's just yeah, gotten what? good. What? Matt Harvey might might go. Um, Michael Givens got healthy, although, and he hit a home run today. So I don't know. Michael Givens. I'm sorry, Michael Franco. Sorry, we, we were just talking about Michael Gibbons. We've been having some trouble with names Look, today. Guys, names we took two weeks off. And, yeah, right. <laughs> or right. a week off. Yeah. It was difficult. But I don't know. Mike, Michael Franco could go. But, but again, these are all guys that are going to be – you're going to get back cash considerations or you're going to get a 19-year-old that you won't see for 10 years and is probably not all that good anyway. So, um, yeah, I think I think if you, wanna, if you want to get back something interesting, it's going to be – Trey Mancini, Paul Fry, Tanner Scott. I think those are the big three to keep an eye on here this next five days. Right. Um, all right, let's do a little housekeeping. Well, not really housekeeping. We just got a couple other notes real quick that we don't have a ton to, to deep to get deep into, but we want to mention it. First off, a huge shout out to the first all-woman broadcast team in Major League Baseball history. They covered the Orioles-Rays game on Tuesday night. It was broadcast on YouTube, which is the only part of it that's a little disappointing. I wish it had been on MLB Network, but that's it's cool that it happened. Uh, Melanie Newman, who does some of the games for the Orioles play-by-play on radio, did the play-by-play here. Sarah Langs provided color commentary. Uh, Alana Rizzo did the on-field and uh, interviews and, and stuff like that. And then Lauren Gardner and Heidi Watney did the studio presentation. Um First, did you guys watch all or a bit of this broadcast? Eli, you're saying, yeah. What, what did you think? Any, any initial reactions? I thought it was good. Uh, I thought Melanie Newman did really well. Uh, we shouted her out on Twitter, too, and she liked the post. So that was pretty cool. Nice. She's friendly <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Sarah Langs, I just want to throw out, she is one of the most unbelievably entertaining Twitter accounts. She just throws out stats like no other. And Tyler actually had mentioned, you know, that she was doing the same thing on the broadcast. She's just this really like kind of cool nerdy person who just loves to talk about StatCast, loves to talk about Exit Velo, you know. Um, and I, yeah, I had a good time listening to all of them. I thought it was a great broadcast. Yeah, Jess, did you get a chance to watch this or I know you're- I did not, perfect. unfortunately, yeah. but I, I was excited about it and it's disappointing that the Orioles weren't able to win in, in this yeah. uh, historic uh, event. That is true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with what Eli said. I think I thought it was really cool. You know, we know what Melanie Newman can do because we hear her regularly being Orioles fans. Sarah Langs. Yeah. She's just like always so hyped up about baseball. And that's, you know, that's just a refreshing thing to have as the color commentator in general that, you know, you, you get these 
mostly players as the color commentators. And sometimes they're a little curmudgeon where, you know, back in my day, the game was better because of X, Y, or Z. And Sarah Langs is just straight up like, this was awesome because he just hit this ball 110 miles per hour, which is, you know, in the, in the 97th percentile of all hard hit balls. And, you know, she throws a lot of numbers and a lot of things at you, but I, you know, and that can be overwhelming, but that's also how front offices think about players. And I think that's, you need to present to fans information that makes sense and tells you why things are happening on the field, why decisions are being made. And Sarah Langs did that. And a lot of color commentators don't do that. So woman or no woman, it was, it was really cool. You're also kind of, I think saying that she's not desensitized to kind of the amazingness of what's happening on the field. Like maybe right. some play former players are yeah. Jim Palmer. What? Who yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Jim Palmer, he softened a little bit on some of it. I think the, the guy true. that That's people true. go after a lot is John Smoltz kind of always being like, well, this is ridiculous yeah. because I wouldn't have done this. It's like, okay, well, you're a Hall of Fame pitcher. Like you're not right. the same level as this middle reliever who's going to play 10 games this year. So let's <laughs> chill a little bit. Um, but yeah, really cool. Hopefully they do that more often. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they don't all, it doesn't always have to be all women. These women could participate in different broadcasts too. And that would be cool. But um, yeah, really cool. Uh, the Orioles had their first run in with COVID-19 this year. Anthony Santander, who also had issues with it last year, is now back on the IL with it this year. Keegan Aiken joins him there. Somehow Cedric Mullins avoided it despite going to the All-Star game, and there was a whole outbreak involved there. Yeah. The Yankees got freaking Aaron by. Judge. I know. I heard he was the culprit. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. He was the culprit, and then the Yankees, half their roster went on the IL. So it sounds like so sad. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge did not use his best judgment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're just going to stop recording. Yeah, now no, keep going. Move on. Um, but yeah, that that was unfortunate to, to hear because the Orioles were one of the first teams, I think, to get past that 85% threshold to like loosen COVID restrictions. Now, the 85% threshold is a completely made up threshold that MLB just put out there to say we're good now. But <laughs> still, you know, it's it's disappointing to see that happen. But it sounds like there's no, there's been no complications from this out, not outbreak, but Santander and Aiken's case of COVID. So hopefully they get back soon. Uh, John Means, as we mentioned earlier, did return from the IL. He's had two starts since then, and they've been a little bit underwhelming. He did start that game that the all-woman broadcast team uh, presented on Tuesday, and then he started earlier today on Sunday. He was a little bit better today, but his spin rates are down. He's not got great control. He hit three guys today. Um, Eli, are you at all worried about John Means? And this is there any sort of a sticky substance uh, residue here? You know, somebody threw out on Twitter, like, you know, they just said John Means. I don't know. It was something about this is not a conversation we're ready to have. And I threw up this gift that was like, I don't want to talk about it. And the other guy responded, but we have to, you know. So, (laughs) yeah, I think it's concerning. And everybody has the little image of him touching the top of the thumb of his glove. You know, everybody knows that John Means was using this stuff. And obviously, I don't knock him for that. But it's going to be one hell of an adjustment. And coming off of that, as well as an injury and finding your form again, I think think yeah he'll have some little run-ins some little struggles at the beginning that being said I think John Means is a very very talented pitcher and I think he'll be fine in the long run yeah his velocities have still looked good it's just been his and the the spin rate drops aren't huge they're like 100 150 like it's not massive so um we'll see Jesse do you have any worries about John Means moving forward 
I I mean definitely. Um, I, I I don't I don't think long long term. Uh, I'm overly worried about it. Um, you know, I don't think that the whole sticky substance crackdown uh, is going to ruin many people's careers. Uh, but I mean, it's it's not ideal. So we'll have to see where it goes. But I I think it'll be okay. Uh, it's just I think short term there might be some adjustment for him. Uh, means returns, but Tyler Wells heads to the 10 day IL with a wrist issue. Uh, they said it's going to be a pretty short stint on the IL. They actually expect him back in the minimum of 10 days. He did have a little, like, I don't know what it's called, not a splint, but like a little wrist guard or whatever, wrist support on today that I saw in the dugout. So hopefully it's just minor. He's kind of become like the de facto closer recently. So it's definitely an issue. Um, but yeah, I don't think we really have anything to talk about there. Connor Green has been selected and will make his major league debut sometime soon, presumably. Eli, this was a guy you were pretty hot on uh, prior to the season. Uh, you excited? Yeah, he just throws like 96, <laughs> 97 with a lot of late life. So I'm excited about it. Uh, I think he's a prototypical reliever. He has no idea where the ball is going, yeah. but it comes fast. So. He's, he's 20, he's 26 years old and hasn't played major league baseball yet, despite throwing like hundred miles an hour. Uh, there's going to be some issues. I think we can. <laughs> the thing is, if he doesn't know where the ball is going, uh, hitters don't know where the ball is going either. So right. that's effectively good. They, wild. They, yeah, they can't, uh, sit out over the plate expecting something outside. So. Absolutely. Uh, more IL news. Michael Franco returns from the IL, which. I'm not super excited about, but somebody's got a. Yeah, he did hit a bomb today, and, and he, he was hot. The tying run. He did. Well, he he had a hustle. He got from first to third, showing off some wheels on that uh, Ryan McKenna single. Pretty impressive. Right. I, I, I gotta say, Tyler, it is uh, it is really strange because before the season, you were pretty big on Franco. Like you were Whoa. like not not big on him, but you were like this would be a good signing for the Orioles. This would yeah. make sense. That I'm sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't say you were like yeah. But you were kind of like thought it would be a good idea for the Orioles. And like, you know, ever since like, I don't know, maybe the second month of the season, you've been like, uh, you know, Michael Franco. Well, and, yeah. What I'll say is, OK, first of all, compared to Rio Ruiz, I was excited about Michael Franco. Second right. of all, I also remember texting you guys at some point being like I could before the season started saying I could see Michael Franco That's totally true. falling apart and like being released in May. That's and now true. he wasn't released, but he was like he had an OPS of like 500 something. So right. for a third baseman, that's not super good. And then third of all is those two mm-hmm. things are not necessarily incongruent. Right. Tyler can both be excited about the signing and disappointed when it doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's even an overstatement to say he was excited, but I think he thought it made <laughs> okay. sense at least, you know? And, well, I, and yeah. you know what? I, I was think going on, off your words, Jesse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on its face. I think it did make sense. Like you, they did need an upgraded third base and Michael Franco was what was there, but yeah, he's been, I mean, he, he's been he, he was 6% better than league average last year as a hitter. Right. Yeah. So he had a good it, hitting yeah, season. He, he hit the ball. Well, so it made sense. Yep. Um, also, Matt Harvey has made two pretty good starts. He hasn't allowed a, a run in his last two starts, and I think he went six innings in both of them. Uh, Matt Harvey trade ship back on. I, I meant to say this, uh, you know, when you mentioned him a few minutes ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, like, I would love if something came together and maybe he went to a contender and, like, you know, we have a dream scenario for all parties involved. 
that, that would be great. I think it's a little, uh, it's too little, too late, unfortunately. And I think too many teams are going to be scared by his previous few months, previous mm-hmm. month, month or two. That uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean that's what it's been. No, about, it's been right? it's been two yeah, months. So yeah, seasons, right. So yeah. I think uh, it's a little. Uh, too little too late and I, I I remember having this conversation a few weeks ago with you Tyler on the podcast and I felt like his uh, trade value had been permanently damaged and unfortunately I think these two starts and we're going to see what happens at the deadline but uh, I think it's it's going to prove that so we'll see yeah just there is absolutely no chance that Matt Harvey gets traded. He still, after 12 scoreless innings, has a 6.65 ERA and a negative one cumulative war over the season. So uh, Matt Harvey is with us, and hopefully these two starts can be indicative that he can help us limp through the finish line. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I was trying to see if I could <laughs> do some pull some ninja stats here, but I, I can't do it. I mean... I was trying to see how his last two starts compared to the rest of the year in terms of like pitch performance, but no, it's just been, he's had a couple good starts. He'll be here. We need people to eat innings still. So it's not like it's, it's not a lost cause and it's not like he's making a ton of money. So yeah, Matt Harvey, I think he'll stick in the Orioles uniform the rest of the summer. Um, yeah, that's all the Orioles news. We're going to do Oriole of the week. Any, you guys got anything else to talk about before we get into Oriole of the week? Oh, guardians. You guys want to talk about the Cleveland guardians? (laughs) It's a, it's okay. I think it's fine. The, the logo's trash. The G on the baseball with the wings, I hate that. I think it looks terrible. I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that bad. But I the mean, name is okay. I like the name. It's it's fairly generic, but if people in Cleveland like it, then that's what's most important. It's their baseball team. It's better than what it was. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. The context for it, for those who don't know, is they have a famous bridge in Cleveland that has two stone guardians on either side of it. And that's what the team is going to be named after. Yeah. And, I, and I've heard people complain that, like, they haven't leaned into, like, the Art Deco style enough, which is fair. I mean, they kind of just the, the, the word script is very similar to what it was a couple years ago. So, right. I don't know. It's not a huge, like, revelation, but it's better. It is kind of interesting. It's being named after like architecture, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the G. Uh, it does look a little bit minor league baseball-y, but I don't know. I, five years from now, it'll just be, they'll just be the Cleveland Guardians and we won't care. So we'll see. It's true. But yeah, it's, it needed to change. So it's, I'm glad it changed. Um, okay. Well, then let's get into Oriole of the Week. So our in our last show, the answer, which again Brady got right, he DM'd us on Instagram. Thank you, Brady. That sucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, la- the last week, the answer was Fernando Valenzuela, which I didn't even know he played for the Orioles prior to doing the Oriole of the week. So that was interesting to learn. And this week might be something similar. One of us on this show did not know that this person was an Oriole. So the first fact about this week's Oriole of the week is that they played catcher for the Orioles from 1989 through 1991. The second fact is that he is one of eight Jewish managers in major league history. Third fact is he holds the record for the most postseason appearances as a manager without having won a league pennant. He's been to the postseason seven times and has never won a league championship. Very interesting. I will say, uh, you know, I did not know that until we it's been established. However, it does seem like 
they had always been in the playoffs like all the time and never. Do you want to stop giving people hints? Stop talking about. It? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, they could infer that from the clue that this is a team that makes I don't know, the playoffs man. He might have but... been. He might have been managing since 1992 after he left the Orioles. You don't know that. Yeah, it's true. Okay, I won't say anything then. <laughs> Jesse, just stop talking. With these podcasts, right. you're not supposed to talk on these podcasts. Right, 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 right. <laughs> supposed to stay silent. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. All right, well, that's all the topics we got. Next week, we will talk about the Orioles ho- or hosting the Miami Marlins for a two-game set, and then they will go to Detroit, where Jonathan Scope may or may not still be on the team. He's definitely a guy that could be moved. And we will also recap any trade deadline news that reflects on the Orioles. Um, if the trade deadline doesn't happen, there's not going to be a lot to talk about next week. So hopefully something happens. <laughs> for for Scope's sake, I, I hope he is dealt. Yeah, me too. He's It'd been be hitting cool the ball see. really well. Yeah. And he's been playing first base for them. He's, he's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting semi-versatile piece for a team to get. We're still big Jonathan Scope fans. At least I am. Yeah. yeah, I love Jonathan Scope. No, right. no reason to not like Jonathan Scope. It, he, right. and Manny, smiling. he and Manny were the best dynamic duo in Baltimore, I think, maybe in our lifetime. Maybe the Padres will trade for him. Just get another outfielder, right. another second baseman. Just right. do it. Yeah. Go all in. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, okay. So that'll be next week's show. Uh, what you guys can do to support the show is subscribe to us on your various podcast applications, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Warehouse Pod. You can also email us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Uh, Jesse, where can people follow you individually on social media? Uh, yeah, people can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Juggernaut8678. And right before the show, I actually did a, a show-related Instagram post. So that yes, was of new. An, of an Instagram post from, I think, about two months ago. But that was cool. Huh? No. <laughs> you, no, no. What? No, what? I'm sorry. Like, right before the show, maybe you didn't see it yet. But I, I like, made a story. Oh, and, I didn't see that like, part. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So. after you posted a picture of yourself with a bandage around your arm perfect yeah right 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 yeah <laughs> well tyler come We're on donating those platelets baby with That's no what. with no context well i i mentioned it after on, on the next oh, half okay. yeah 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 so i'm learning tyler i'm learning okay so, right. so the the podcast picture is then sandwiched by platelet stories he, yeah, I don't know what I did. I tried something. I don't know what happened. Okay. <laughs> and then you repo- you reposted your story to our story. That's good. correct. Okay. Exactly. Now, I'm not even aware of what our social media is doing some days, but that's okay. It's fun. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Follow Jesse. Eli, I, where can I'm you told follow? we're doing really well on it. I'm told we're doing really well on it. But, I, yeah. I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. And every once in a while, I pop over to at the warehouse pod. That's true. Eli is the most frequent tweeter from our account. That is for sure. Uh, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Ty Young and over at CamdenChat.com. And I think that's about all we got, boys. Um, yeah. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Let's go O's.